Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. It shouldn't be all there is. We'd also totally agree that you need a mix, but we need to kind of stop seeing digital as separate. Digital is really just a channel to deliver a service. Hey everyone, and welcome back to another episode of It Ain't Week to Speak. My name is Sam Webb, and this show is dedicated to ending the stigma around mental health through community, connection, and the hard-hitting truth. I'll be speaking with guests from all over the world about life to inspire and to educate people to speak up so that we can save more lives. Thank you for joining me on this journey. Hello, everyone, and welcome back onto the It Ain't Week to Speak podcast. I'm so excited to be here with you guys today. Always grateful for your time. I never take it for granted, uh, no matter how far on the living journey that you are. If you're a returning listener or you're a veteran supporter of living, thank you for all of your support, no matter big or small, which it all adds up, you know. So thank you. Thank you very much. And if you, this is the first time listening to the It Ain't Week to Speak podcast with myself, thank you for, for taking the time out of your day. I value it. I really do value it, and I hope that when you check out of the podcast today, you're able to get some good insight from it and and learn a lot about it. But straight to the point, today is episode four of the mental health series, uh, the CEO series. If you haven't been able to get the chance to listen to the past three episodes, it was with Georgie Harmon, the CEO of Beyond Blue. We had Kevin Barrow, who is the CEO of the Butterfly Foundation, and uh, Nick Brown from Batir. And today, it gives me great honor and great pleasure to welcome onto the podcast Ashley De Silva. He's been the CEO of Reach Out for about almost three years, September 2018. And prior to that, he was the deputy CEO of Reach Out and head of strategy and marketing. But for those of you who don't know who Reach Out is, uh, they are the most accessed online mental health service for young people and their parents in Australia. The guy's engaging with more than 2 million people in Australia each year. And Reach Out is a free service. It's available anytime and pretty much anywhere. And I can't wait to speak to Ashley about, you know, what the future holds for mental health when it comes to tech, how we can better support young people and parents when it comes to technology uh, and all of the business stuff that comes with that as well as running an organization which primarily looks at technology. It's kind of new, but I think this is the way the future is heading. And I'm excited to pick Ashley's brain and, and, and talk about science and data and how that really does inform a lot of the outcomes that we try and chase, um, as well as obviously taking on board mental health advice from professionals, as well as lived experience from people who are dealing with complex and, and sometimes just normal manageable mental health challenges. It's fascinating, and I, and I can't wait to get him onto the show. So without further ado... Let's welcome Ashley De Silva onto the podcast. Well, welcome onto the podcast. It's a pleasure having you on. We've got the CEO of Reach Out here with me today, Ashley De Silva. Thanks very much for your time. Thanks, Sam. Good to be here. Well, it's great to be here, but it's also good to put a face to the name of we're big advocates for the work that Reach Out Australia does and everything that you guys do in the the mental health space for, I guess, young people, but parents as well. And, you know, your name's been thrown around, you know, a number of times and I've never actually met you. So I'm really grateful to be here today to pick your brain a little bit about what you're doing, your vision at Reach Out and how you even got to this stage in your life to be the CEO of Reach Out. Yeah, thanks, Sam. It's great to meet you. It's funny that we're doing it now on opposite sides of the world, but better late than never, I think. Very much so. I agree. I agree. Can you just set the foundation for those listening? It's better coming from the horse's mouth, so to speak. What is Reach Out all about? What are you guys trying to do in Australia? So look, Reach Out was the world's first online mental health service. So since day one, we've been delivering mental health services online. 
And today what we're focused on is young people 12 to 25. And we focus there, there are a whole lot of statistics as to why it's important to make sure there are really compelling youth focused services in Australia. And, you know, they include things around the prevalence of mental health in that age group, as well as the onset of mental health issues. So 75% of people with a mental health issue will have had that emerge before the age of 25. But also the need to kind of speak to some really particular things that affect how young people conceptualise mental health, how they conceptualise help seeking, and what are the unique barriers that they face. And so we think about all of those things in the way that we design Reach Out and what it kind of lands as in terms of what we actually offer is online information and self-help. So everything that's written in the way that young people would talk and think about their lives. So not in a clinical sense, not labelled. It's much more around the words and worlds that young people live in. And then we have a peer support community, which is an online forum. It's safe place online. So young people from across Australia can log in anonymously and share what's going on with them. So sometimes that can be questions. Sometimes it can be fears. Sometimes it can be successes and wins and sharing back with others what's worked for them. And it's an amazing community where you kind of see young people playing this incredible role in validating one another's experiences and encouraging them to take the sometimes scary and big steps to be well. And we support that community with an incredible team at Reach Out. And then you mentioned parents, Sam. The other place that we focus on is the statistics in Australia are that young people with a mental health issue, the places that they're most likely to go for support are friends and family, parents and online. So we are in all of those top three places. So we recognise that young people going to parents, it's really important that we help parents feel prepared and able to respond when that happens. Because unfortunately, depending on the response at home, it makes a big impact on whether that young person will go and seek help or what their own attitudes are about mental health. So we support parents in a similar way, information, similar support community, but also a one-on-one coaching program. So they can work directly with a coach around this particulars of what's going on with their teenagers at home. I love that. And I love the relatability. And I mean, you guys after this or everybody listening, if you're going to reach out's website, you'll notice that the language used is very relatable. I guess it's from the same perspective that Livin looks at the way we speak with our community and the way people speak with us. It's all very relative and, and relatable. And I think we keep that as well top of mind because I mean, that's what really does help connect people to services and and gives them that extra kick or that extra push when they might need to get that help and support and maybe be a bit more open and whatnot but it's great to hear that you guys are really arming parents what i love about the model that you guys are are really pursuing i guess is you're not only just looking after how you can support young people but it's about when they're sent like gone for example from school or from the computer, you're also arming the parents or giving them the right tools and strategies to be able to correctly intervene, but also to look out for signs and symptoms and maybe point them in the right direction. That's exactly the thinking. It's really around helping young people and the people they're most likely to turn to for help. Uh, And that's how we think about it. And you guys do do a great job of keeping that language and the tone in a really accessible way. And I think it's so important because as a system, we can get really kind of fixated on, oh, we do this, you do that, we're for mild to moderate, we are for this people but not those people. And the truth is that actual people don't put themselves in those boxes, right? And when you haven't got any literacy yet or much literacy around mental health, as a young person, it's not really the place you're going to start to unpack it from. And a really good example of something that we'll probably all relate to is just even the experience with COVID, When that first kind of gripped down in Australia and we went into a national lockdown, we had so many people, our service demand spiked by 50% at that time. And people were looking largely for information about coronavirus and their concerns about it, the effects on their mental health, their worry. But over time, the service demand was still 35% up on the year prior, but you, you saw people weren't looking for that language anymore. They weren't searching for things around coronavirus. They were looking at things like, I'm worried about my future. I'm worried about work and money, you know, and and it, it could have been that coronavirus is, of course, a trigger to that, but they're no longer thinking about it in those terms. And mental health, you know, that parallel is very present in mental health. It might be that it's anxiety for someone, but actually what they're worried about is how do I make friends at school? 
that could be where it's manifesting. Yeah, and that's like the underlying thing that they're probably searching or looking for, right? As you mentioned, a lot of people aren't really skilled or, or understand the basic things around mental health literacy and understanding, which is why organizations like yours exist, so that we can teach people the really basic skills and education so that they can get help and, and they can reach out in a number of different ways. Exactly. And we do that. Like the reason that Reach Out is able to do that is because we work directly with young people and we work directly with parents. So you kind of actually really need to be able to translate a lot of what you know from a mental health perspective, a lot of what you know from the evidence and research. I think one of the really challenging things is to make sure you're translating that well in the way that you design and deliver a service and for us that means or we always have worked with young people directly to your point you know you hear it from the horse's mouth you actually understand the subtlety and nuance and you can design with that in mind rather than kind of thinking oh you know you're having a difficult time we just need to get you over here on this anxiety service and you kind of completely miss the point that that's just not where young people are seeing themselves yeah, so important, especially in this space because we're dealing with people's lives. It's not like we're dealing in products here. We're dealing with human beings, which everyone is a human being and everyone has a heart and everyone's got a feeling in some way, shape or form and nobody should ever be judged in one basket or the next. And I think that's really important in this space more than ever. And I love that because I understand that you guys, you know, get research from young people, parents, and it's sort of all combined in a way that speaks to those audiences so that people can connect. And I think that's spot on. That's exactly how I believe it It should be. Otherwise you miss the mark, right? But a lot of the practices and the information that you guys put out in the world and you know help with young people or parents, it's all generally informed by evidence and research as well, isn't it? Like rigor and it's really informed by that strong evidence-based. 100%. So it all comes from an evidence-based and we we're really fortunate to have an amazing research team in-house too that's a mix of qualitative and quantitative. So we are able to look to the evidence base to inform it. But then, as I spoke about, you have to wash over that, what you actually understand about young people, not just through a clinical lens of, of what might be going on for them through a mental health perspective, but through a broader lens of how they're living their lives how are they conceptualizing the future? What are the drivers? How are they relating to each other in different ways on different platforms these days? And what does that mean? And, you know, you use all of that stuff to kind of combine it and make sure that then what you deliver is really the most powerful meeting point of the evidence, but also the translation into their lives and makes, that makes it easy and seamless for young people to engage and overcomes a lot of the barriers I spoke about earlier. Yeah, definitely. I agree. And I think just to reiterate, this is the CEO series of the mental health space. How important is it to you, Ashley, as a CEO to look at the future and to sort of figure out, you know, this is where we need to go or this is what we need to do? And how often do you sort of move that needle or try and move that pin so that you are hitting the right mark? I think it's so important, Sam. It's not easy to do it. And I think there are a lot of reasons and, you know, organizations the world over would relate to them, I'm sure. When you're delivering a current state service off of a funding model that might have been conceptualized 10 years ago, you know, things date very quickly and it can be really hard on the organization to deliver the service of today while you're still thinking and trying to design the service of tomorrow. And our team puts in such a huge yards to try to do that. And, you know, we've been very focused, particularly over the last 18 months around you know, really coming to terms with what the future service needs to be to deliver, continue to deliver impact for young people. You know, that means looking at things like a new generation of young people coming through who are very different from the previous ones. And so kind of as I, you know, understanding what it is about that generation and the nuance of how they're seeing their lives, but equally looking to technology trends, looking to where there are opportunities to strengthen components that we see working really well in the service, getting our heads across data, you know, and how we're going to use data to make the service smarter and better, looking at new ways of working with partners in the system. So I'm very big on collaboration and when it's meaningful and it kind of holds people at the centre, I think there's some really smart things you can do. Yeah, we're looking at all of that space. And I think when you work in a digital field, as we do, one of the additional challenges is that I think digital is not very well understood still, unfortunately, in mental health. It tends to kind of be like chapter 12 of a book about mental health system. There'll be this separate chapter on digital. And it's like, actually, digital should cut through all of that. It shouldn't be all there is. We'd also totally agree that you need a mix. 
but we need to kind of stop seeing digital as separate. Digital is really just a channel to deliver a service. Peer support, for instance, could be delivered online or it could be delivered face-to-face, -face. but how you develop those experiences will be really different. So don't just take a traditional service and put it online. You actually have to think about how do you create digital first services. And that, that is a very different thing. It's a completely different model. It's a completely different outlook and you've got to look at it from a different angle, but it also comes with research and understanding your vision and your mission and, and probably comes back to the why, Ashley, which I love asking all of my guests, you know, well, why do you do this? Why are you in this role? Why are you so passionate about this? Yeah, look, I'm passionate about it because I, in my 20s, had an experience with anxiety. And I'm sure my story is probably similar to a lot of people who end up working in mental health. But it was that experience that kind of, you know, I wish I'd known about Reach Out when I was going through that. But instead I was just like a lot of the numbers still described today. I kind of thought I should be able to figure out on my own. I didn't think that what I was experiencing was actually help worthy. I thought that was for people who had, you know, something else going on than what I did. And so, you know, I kind of struggled a lot longer than I needed to in not having found information that related to my perspective and what I was going through. And so I think why I also care about it so much is not just that experience, but also the knowledge that it is possible to get a handle on, you know, tools and strategies that you can use for life. That's a really powerful idea is, you know, how do we intervene early with young people so that we're helping people find a course that allows them to be well much, much sooner. It's a very strong why, Ashley. It's a very strong why and it's a very passionate why and it comes from a very sacred place for you and I, and I love that. And I think, you know, there's so many questions I want to ask you, especially, you know, I probably jumped back and forward a bit too much in that regard, but we'll come back because I want to ask you about the technology stuff. What do you feel is working and what do you feel is not working? I think there's a lot that is working in the technology side in that the data shows you just how readily accessible it is and how willing people are to engage with online. And again, I want to qualify, I'm not talking about every aspect of the mental health service, but certainly for the areas that we operate in around information and community conversations online, that space is really acceptable to young people as a place that they'd like to go to for support. So I think there's a good presence online. There are good online services out there. And I think we're connecting into the community well through those. They overcome really specific things, you know, if they can increase access and reduce reliance on physical services. They don't increase access 100%. It still relies on things like good access to, to an internet connection and things like that, obviously. Uh, and they can reduce a lot of the barriers that we hear about for young people as well. The things that are probably opportunities that could need to be bolstered, I think, largely sit in the data space and starting to build much more sophisticated versions of digital mental health services. So I might use again a COVID example, but, you know, the world went online like it never has before. There were services who weren't, say, online already like we were who needed to kind of figure out how to do that. But I kind of make the point sometimes that being online is not necessarily the same thing as being digital and really designing great digital services. And if you think about, say, universities last year where all of a sudden their students couldn't come to class, the solution, which was, you know, the best that they could do at short notice was to just do eight-hour Zoom meetings, right? It's a terrible experience from an education perspective and it is not where you'd set the bar in terms of actually designing good education delivered digitally. You know, you'd have different modules, you'd be using data to help, you know, young people, students know where they were up to, what the related content was. It'd be providing contextual links, creating opportunities to talk to other students about questions, to ping a teacher when you needed someone to answer stuff, all this stuff that you can't do in a Zoom setting, right? And digital mental health services are the same. So it has to be more than just putting a traditional service online, particularly when you think about young people who their digital benchmark is high particularly this generation, they're digital natives. It's just been there from day one. And they're moving at lightning speed and they expect everything done yesterday. So how do you keep up with that, man? Exactly. And that's the hard part, right? So I think for us, it's about having a really strong view of the future. And it is about thinking boldly around where are the opportunity spaces that we will, we will deliver the most value for young people 
and parents from. And, you know, that takes effort and, and real focus to build. We've done a lot of work on that. But I think the parts that need to fall in line to move the system forward kind of start to be more in the space of things like how funding is delivered. You know, it, traditional funding likes to kind of have everything listed up front about what are you going to deliver and then you spend the next three years delivering it. Whereas true digital services actually need to be more discovered as you go. And agile and be able to be like water. Like you have to be able to move anywhere and everywhere that you need to. That's right. You need to be able to track what's working really quickly. You need to be able to respond to things, try things and do more of what's working. Use a combination of the evidence that we were speaking about before, but also real-time data and what you're seeing actually happening in the site. So it's a bit of a barrier if we're still kind of commissioning services in a different kind of mindset, because really you need, not only do you need the funding to be delivered in a different way, you need to accept that the research and methodologies to realise it have to shift, as do the internal components of the organisation. So even our organisation's, you know, done a lot of work around moving more into an agile mindset, thinking about how we actually are organising ourselves so that we can deliver value faster for people, act on insights more quickly. And all of the while, you know, the aspiration being that we're refining and refining our impact. And it can get very complex and it can get very complicated, but you're right because you could have the great, so for example, and let's just step through this in a practical sense. So you running reach out, you've got a wonderful team. Obviously it's one big team. Everyone's doing their, their part and experts in their own right. You might have an amazing outlook and you might have, you might be able to be agile and pivot and move pretty quickly. You might have a great outlook in the future as to where it could or should go. Then if you look at for funding, for example, at that silo in the mental health space, which I agree, needs to be on the same page in, in the way that you're thinking from a digital point of view. I'm getting exactly what you're saying because you might have this one outlook, but if the funding's limiting you to certain barriers and benchmarks and this is how it's got to be implemented, they don't really fit, do they? I think what it risks is leaving value and impact on the table. So I think you can get something done, but I think you'd have to question, look, if you look back on it on five years and say, we did get it done, but was that the best we could have done? And could we have done better for people if we'd been more able to work in a way that allowed us to be more iterative? You know, and it doesn't have to be that, that everything's flying around like at a wild pace, but it just means kind of, I think the system gaining a bit more of a sophistication or around recognising that, yes, we're all working in mental health, but when it comes to digital, true digital services delivery, particularly the kinds that will be fit for the future, you do need to kind of embrace a different way of thinking and working. And, you know, a good example of this is, you know, we just did some partnership work with uh, Lifeline and Beyond Blue, which are two other major national services in Australia. And we did them as kind of small pilots to just test initial ideas around these things. And we self-funded these, but like a, a quick example would be when someone comes to reach out, we don't know much about you, but what we can tell without needing to get creepy is, you know, what search term you might've used to arrive at the site and whether you're looking at suicide related content or not. And we can use things like that to kind of build a hypothesis that you might actually be one of the 13% of young people and reach out who's at risk of suicide right now. And what we were then able to do is create a pop-up chat, which invited you to speak to someone right now if you wanted to. And we don't deliver that service. We aren't a crisis provider, but what we've done is partner with Lifeline, who are. And so from within the reach out ecosystem, a young person can have a one-on-one -on -one chat with a trained crisis professional, which is actually the Lifeline team, but they're experiencing it within reach out. That's the linkage that's happening in the back end uh, and we did that in an iterative way. We tested small things first and then we, we scaled it up just a little bit more. But that's a good example of we didn't say, oh, this is going to work. Let's go and get $10 million to build it. We actually kind of just went, let's see if this works. And let's also kind of recognise we don't have to be the experts at everything. And in fact, we're not. So let's work with our colleagues in the sector to make the system easier for people. And I really agree with that because I think that's what's happening over here in the States. They're doing really well. Uh, what I've found anyway, living here, I've been here for almost two years and the way providers give support, it's almost like 
they're all integrated. So what I love most about it over here, which is very similar to the experience you've done with your test or your beta group or your hypothesis, whatever you want to call it, people don't have to jump from one site to another because in the mental health space, for example, it's already very complex. It's very complicated for a young person who wants to seek help. If they're already feeling overwhelmed and they've come to reach out for the very first time in their entire life to seek help or to at least acknowledge that they're struggling, to then be told, oh, this isn't the right fit. I've got to go to a service provider and now do another two hours of research and tell my whole story again. It can get very overwhelming. So what we must do as leaders, I believe, is we need to make it a lot easier. We need to minimize as many barriers as we can for people in a very safe way that that is speaking to people in a way that is becoming faster, but probably safer at the end of the day. And the way that that happens is by, instead of having all these like silos of all these different organizations all doing their own little thing, they all should be, you should be sticking to your core competency, in your case, digital. That is the delivery platform, but then you're not a service provider offering clinical crisis support so to speak or just crisis support lifeline is so they come in when their job's ready to be filled and that whole process should be seamless in my mind and there should be a cross-pollination of the way information is shared to a point where people understand where people are on that mental health journey or that mental health continuum during their line of care that's how i i would imagine it being yeah look and that's a big component of the future that we see too sam in terms of seamless connected ecosystem across services. And you're right, it does actually Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact, you can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Even on a budget, quality is non-negotiable. That's why Quince is the place to score high-end essentials at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Get your hands on buttery soft cashmere sweaters from just 60 bucks, Italian leather jackets, and so much more. And the best part about Quince, they exclusively partner with factories committed to safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Elevate your style without the elevated price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. PlushCare is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Leadership, because it requires organizations to think outside of their service boundaries and to do the work that helps people move to the services that are going to be right for them right now, rather than kind of just passively saying, oh, sorry, but it's over there, or here's a link or a phone number, you can go and do that yourself, and kind of actually going, look, they've started a journey somewhere. That is already a huge step. If we take accountability as a system and as a sector to stitch that together in ways that create those seamless linkages that you're describing, that takes away so much of the pressure for people to figure that out on their own. And it, and it really becomes much more about a connected digital ecosystem where the different services are coming in and out at the right time based on what it is we know about that person. So, you know, we've done a very skinny slice of that and we did a similar pilot with Beyond Blue, but our organisations can, can have kind of, you know, 
developed a view of something that could take be taken much further, you know, if there was appetite to do it around creating much more of kind of the ecosystem you just described. And I love that. And I think that cohesive team accessing the care is a lot easier. I'm not like pulled off the map and told to go here and there. I've almost got a team. So when I go into like one of my apps for my service providers or my private health insurance over here, that app, I've got access to like a life coach or like a coach. Then I've got access to like a service provider who can write me medications and I've got access to a psychologist on demand and they all they all sit in this one system i don't have to go from one app to the other app which i find cool because it minimizes time i don't have to re-explain my same problem to the next person the next person it's already all there documented and it's just makes so much easier and and look i agree i'm a big believer that there should be a hybrid system there should be face-to-face you will never be able to replace face-to-face Human beings need that social, real-life connection. Very important. However, I'm a huge, if not bigger, believer that as technology shifts and we've got new advancements and young people are growing up faster and people are becoming more impatient and people want things done yesterday, tech is probably going to... I believe tech in the mental health space, and mate, you can tell me if I'm wrong based on your views, I think it will be a 70-30. I believe technology will be 70% of the, of the ecosystem or that, that journey and the other 30% will be for more face-to-face to touching base every three to six months sort of thing. That's how I think it will be. Yeah, look, and I mean, that's a, it's a good perspective because as I kind of said before, like we're very conscious that the, the generation of young people that we're helping now were born, they are digital natives. They have never questioned or seen this separate divide between my life online and offline. It's just my life. And a large part of it, I do things online. And then there'll be certain things I do offline. And sometimes I might do do it offline one day and online the next, but it's not this division. A good example, you kind of even hear it in mental health when we talk about bullying and cyberbullying. Yes, those two things exist, but to young people, they're still just bullying. Cyberbullying has additional elements in that, yeah, okay, it can follow you home in the in, in ways that, you know, physical bullying tends not to and things but because young people spend their lives in schools and online it's actually just bullying you know and it i think more and more you know as we get generations and generations to come of people who just take for granted the fact that there's all of this available online i agree that online will only become bigger and invested correctly and with the right mindset around some of the barriers we spoke about earlier, you will see more and more sophisticated digital services if we embrace it. Like, and again, you, you actually need to kind of recognize that the translation and the design of digital is so important. It is not just an evidence-based knowledge because you could have all of that knowledge and build a really unappealing, unintuitive unconnected, not seamless. Which is what's happened, which is what's happened in the past with not even tech platforms, with just mental health services. Like they've been so outdated, they're so evidence-based and come from textbooks that they're not connecting with people. Yes, I'm a very big supporter and we collaborate, we work with mental health professionals and I've got so much respect for the work ethic and their expertise because I'm certainly not a mental health professional by any means. I just think that they both complement each other in a nice way. I think that's just the way it should be. Otherwise, the system will never change, which I think is why you mentioned earlier when, when we talk about digital mental health, it's in that little 12 page at the end of the book and it's separated from mental health because the old traditional way of help seeking has changed it's changed dramatically and this mental health via digital means is what's current and it's what's going to help drive people to seek help like you guys have done the test you guys have done the research i mean you've been able to increase help seeking based on what you guys are doing you're speaking to what two million people a year or something yeah and you know we had it was even higher in the last year because of the impact of covid but you're right and it it can be confronting i think for organizations because in a, a very traditional kind of model you might have even within your organization program managers for this program managers for that but you know you're starting to talk about you need data analysts, you need data scientists, you need, you know, totally different methodologies, you need service designers, you need service researchers, as well as your quantitative and qualitative. You need to start actually getting skilled at 
How do we pull together insights from our quantitative data and qualitative data? What do we need to do internally to allow us to blend that with what we're seeing in real time through the data of our products and services? They're new things that organisations have to do and they can sometimes sound simple, but actually I think when you really think about what does it take to do digital well, you've got to find the right you know, strategy for your organisation, what it is you're trying to do. But I think my main point is that you'll find there is some element of transformation that's required in a lot of organisations to lean into this space really well. For a lot of the bigger organisations and people that have been in this space for so many years, that taking that leap or that transformational step in that direction can be very daunting and it might feel like it's not right or it doesn't feel good. But I guess sometimes in order to grow, and we say this all the time, you must step out of your comfort zone in order to grow and to try new things. And for us to fast track the process and, and this space to minimizing the amount of people taking their own lives and increasing help support and whatnot and dealing with people with complex mental health issues is really about you know fast forward and fast thinking people who are able to be agile and be open to change and to try new things and try new new methodologies and stuff like that to really make an impact because if we keep doing the same stuff that we've been doing in the past i mean look what's happened things aren't going to really get get much better i don't think and that's why i think it's so important having organizations like reach out and lifelines and now they're offering tech services and all this is good stuff this is great stuff happening it's advancing and i'm a big supporter of it and and i've got a lot of hope in this space i really do and i think that for the most part mental health awareness definitely i feel like has grown yeah there's a lot of work that needs to be done stigma is still very high but i think for the most part the conversation is definitely a lot bigger and better and stronger than it was 10 years ago oh without a doubt and i mean you know that's been one of the things i think the silver linings of COVID is that you know in australia it's done a good job of recognizing very quickly their mental health relationship to the experience of COVID. and i think you know we've seen even just through our own service you know still at the end of last year and even now service demand up so much higher and while that kind of on one hand looks like oh gosh there's a lot of people out there who aren't doing well i think to your point well the sign is that they're actually engaging in services if we're able to make the shifts that we can see are there to be made in terms of lining up funding and support to do it well what you then can take is those three million people who came to reach out you start to deepen the service response we can provide to them but also increase the connections and the seamlessness that you were talking about before to start to make every contact that comes through whether it's with lifeline beyond blue reach out headspace the starting point for a really seamless experience for people and pulling together all that data, which you said earlier, which is probably a very important opportunity for a lot of any organization is building data analytics and insights. And as boring and as tardy as that sounds sometimes, it's it's what helps build out people's behaviors so that we understand what people are going to do next. And I think that's probably one of the biggest opportunity spaces that we probably see anything revolving around tech. I think so. And it's funny you kind of acknowledge it does sound sometimes incongruous, I think. And this is partly what I mean about the dialogue around digital in Australia. I'm hoping to see it become more sophisticated because to have like real conversations about what it's going to take, you actually need to be talking about things like data the need for new skills in organisations like data science, the need for developers in your organisation. And historically, people kind of see digital because it's a bit ephemeral. You know, it's not a bricks and mortar proposition. But I think there's a tendency to sometimes think it's quite cheap um, or that like, isn't it just about creating a website? You know, and it's like the deceptively simple side of the front end of that experience is how it presents. But behind it, there's researchers, you know, there's groups, there's impact and evaluation, there's, you know, skilled people in our engagement team working with social platforms and other things, making sure that we're connecting in at the right times with young people. It's not just a website, but it often feels like the thinking gets that far and you have to talk about these things that sometimes don't sound like health services because people are used to talking about how many more counsellors do we need on a phone or how many how can we get our waiting list down by having another new centre or opening and filling that with with counsellors and you know we need to be getting that side of the system right as well but you can kind of get my point right when you kind of come in and you start talking about different things I think depending on someone's level of literacy in digital it can easily sound a little bit outside the tent. Yeah, but to complement your point as well is 
you know, if we're looking at increasing service providers and getting more people on the telephone at Lifeline or wherever it is, I'm just using that as an example, we have to understand the data. We have to understand the analytics. We have to understand what people are doing. Otherwise, we're just shooting for the stars and we're hoping for the best. And I don't think that's the best use of anyone's time and money, especially in this day and age, especially in in the mental health space when money is always very scarce and we don't have access to unlimited amounts of cashola to go around and spend, you know? So highly agree, highly agree. Love the work that you're doing. I love everything that you guys are about. Love it all. And we're always here to support and spread the message as far as we can and support you guys in any way that we can. I want to ask you some a couple of personal questions though from a CEO perspective. What do you do in terms of your staff? Like what's your number one priority when it comes to setting team morale and, and culture and that sort of thing when you're in the workplace? Well, I think the biggest thing that we're blessed with is just to be with a team that is so passionate. You know, you know, I shared my story, but it's true of anyone at Reach Out. The passion for what we do and making young people's lives better through the services that we provide is so palpable uh, that it brings with it a lot of energy and motivation and drive. Some of the things I think about are how do we make sure that we, as an organisation, are making sure that our team members who we work with, uh, that that passion doesn't lead to burnout as well. So, you know, how do we make sure that we've got the right systems, processes, culture that kind of allows people to do the work they're passionate about without burning out. Because it can be one of the flip sides of passion is that you can kind of give a lot without filling your own cup. So I think trying to make sure that in our drive to see a much better system in Australia with much greater access of really strongly designed services for young people that we keep that in check in terms of what we're actually able to do with the resources that we have so there's no shortage of i think ambition and desire to make change but i think it's making sure that we try to temper that and do it in ways that we stay healthy and well ourselves from the inside out sort of like practicing what you preach sort of thing first yeah you know that can be challenging because you know like even if you just look at the last year it hasn't been a straightforward year for anyone on top of that you know you you layer what i spoke about earlier around the need to deliver great services today which we do but equally to have an eye on the future and make sure that we are collectively thinking about what the future looks like so that we are going to be the team to build it you know and there's a lot in that so making sure that we try to always keep that balance right is is certainly one thing. And then, you know, I also feel the responsibility around realising the team's potential. And, and for me, that also includes bringing in support, you know, whether it be from government or, or supporters who fund our work. We need that support to do what we do every day. And we we certainly need it to create a better service for the future so it can be challenging dreaming and then kind of not being able to do it until you get the support to do it it's quite different in the social side of things i mean my background my training is in business so i've learned quite a lot of education in business and the commercial side tends to have capital or be able to raise capital to pursue the projects that they see worth doing in many not-for-profits and reach out's a good example you you can't actually just make that resource allocation you've got to kind of find support for it and so there can be this lag between the clarity of what it is you can see the opportunity is and the reality of when the team can move in and realize it and that can be a difficult space to hold sometimes because you're asking people to dream and get clear on the future but then there's sometimes quite a wait before you can get that started. How does Reach Out generally make its income? Does it have commercial opportunities or is it mainly through funding or how does that all operate? So it's 50% of our services government funded through the federal government here in Australia and then the rest we raise ourselves. So we do that through some really incredible partners of Reach Out who sponsor our work but then also there's amazing people in the community who get behind events like the one we just had in March, we do an event called Laps for Life. And Ian Thorpe, the Legends Olympian, we're fortunate to have him on our board and he fronts that campaign and does a a really powerful job of, with our team, getting about 7,000 people swimming for us in March this year, fundraising for us. And we need them to hit the pool because that's what funds the service for the next year. So always looking at new ways to help align our work with people who want to support youth mental health in the way that we deliver it. I love that. And it's great having that balance and, and having your own sort of projects that you do to push you know, local awareness or events and stuff like that to fund your programs, but also to have that commercialization balance of this is how much we need to help fund this and 
help keep you guys afloat, keeps trying new things, expand, support the team, making sure everybody's happy at work. And I mean, it's like life isn't always perfect for anybody. And I think what you hit on earlier is important, you know, ensure that our family's all right first, you know, like we've got to look after our own backyard first before we can really look after anyone else. And I think that's important because the more support that we can give, I guess we've got to be able to give that to ourselves so that we can give it better to other people. That's right. And, you know, a big part of it is ultimately around practicing what we preach, right? And, you know, we, we work in a space where we do get to have access to the evidence. We know the importance of things like self-care, rest, recovery. And I think it's just making sure that we hold those things close and, and, and actually do practice what we preach. Yeah, mate. And I just want to actually ask you a couple of last things before we tie up here. And again, appreciate your time, Ashley. Appreciate all of your support as well, being on the podcast, spreading the message about Reach Out, mate. It's going to connect very well with our audience, no doubt. What's your favorite book that you've ever read? Gosh, that's a good question. I think the one that comes to my mind is one by Jeanette Winterson called The Passion. The Passion. I haven't read it. I've read that one a few times over the years. A friend of mine introduced me to it, but Jeanette Winterson's a fantastic writer. She kind of writes really simply but poetically as well and kind of creates these these worlds that are really easy to slip into and the passion particularly kind of has this almost mysticism to it so i find her language really really beautiful so that's probably my my top tip the passion the passion i'll put put that on the list i've got about 50 books on my list so i've got to get through one at a time my next question is and i want to just ask you this is from your own role as a ceo as a leader in this field you've been doing it as a ceo for what since 2018 or thereabouts yeah you're confronted with a pretty crisis situation work sort of chaotic i'm just rolling you through a scenario and i want to find out how you'd react how would you support the team and yourself a pretty critical situations occurred work-wise commercially and it hasn't really gone to plan and you know it might have been the COVID pandemic or something's changed the business units had to change or shift or pivot what's the first thing that you do as a, as a leader how do you confront that challenge how do you manage that challenge within the team environment I think the first thing is to kind of when those things happen it can be quite a shock usually you don't have a lot of information about what it is that's actually going on. And I've learned over time that the details on these things actually matter a lot. So I generally want to be pulling together, in the first instance, the leadership team to be getting understanding from different perspectives in the organisation about what it is and what it means. And that's really important to me so that it means that we are able to, as quickly as we can, come to terms with what's going on and be able to then make sense of that ourselves and then as quickly as we can share back with the team you know what that might mean and what the implications could be there's usually a thousand steps in between that um, in terms of like letting people know that something's happened depending on what the situation is and and how we're going to address it but I think it's important to kind of stay calm to get the facts and get information out to people who are impacted by it even if you don't have all the information yet so I think in those instances, it's usually about like, yeah, coming together, facts and communication. Yeah, cool. It's a great way to attack any problem and being calm and clear about it and take necessary steps in order to get to an outcome that's going to be the safest and probably the, the nicest outcome as best as you possibly can. On that note, what are three qualities that you think are very high of yourself? Well, actually, one is probably that I can say pretty calm under pressure. So I'm a regular meditator and practice yoga for many years. You seem pretty calm. You seem pretty cool, calm and collected. So I think I've got a good ability to say calm under pressure. I think uh, another one is that I really enjoy working in complexity. And so I like being able to think through scenarios and work with people to identify ways forward when it's often unclear. Another one would just be that I like working with people. So I think I make good relationships with people and enjoy enjoy that side of what it is that we do and that I do. So um, I'll probably be a third. They're good three quality traits, characteristics, mate. I like them. I like them a lot. And they're great qualities to have as a leader. So people that are in your team and who work with you probably see those same qualities come through. And, that, and that's what's really positive in a work team environment. And lastly, mate, what are you most grateful for? Oh, that's a good question. My gratitude practice has probably slipped a little bit during... I'm going to leave you better than I found you. So we're talking gratefuls right now. What are they? What are you grateful about? I just spent a brilliant Easter in Melbourne 
And because of COVID and Victoria's lockdowns and other things, I've, I've tried to get back there about three times in the last year and each time the borders have shut. But I was able to get there this past week and see really good friends who I just haven't seen in more than a year now. And I know there's a lot of people who have given up a lot more than that um, around the world during COVID, but I'm still very comfortable saying that I was grateful for time I spent with them. Yeah. That's great. And, and that's all relative. Everyone's challenges and, and what they're going through is all very relative. So we can't compare people's challenges to yours and, and vice versa. And, and I love that. I, the reason I asked about the grateful stuff is obviously to, to make you think about what you are most grateful about. But I've actually been reading a, and working on a book called The Five Minute Journal just recently. And it's, it's been great. I'm in the habit of writing my gratefuls every day and I'm loving it. And also at night. So morning and night, I try and write three. But mate, Look, on behalf of myself and, and everyone at Live and all of our listeners, thank you so much for taking the time to be on this podcast with me. It's been a real pleasure. It's been great to get to know you. It's good to put a face to the name and uh, obviously wish you nothing but the best for the future. And I'm sure hopefully we could collaborate or work together at some stage. Thanks, Sam. Great to chat with you too. Thank you again for listening in to another episode of It Ain't Week to Speak. Please like, share, and spread the love to as many people as you can. Let people know that you subscribe to the show. Don't forget to leave a review or a comment so that we can grow this community together because a conversation could save a life. If you want to continue this chat, please join me on the podcast Facebook group at livin.org. I can't wait to share the next episode with you, but in the meantime, stay well, keep living, and remember, it ain't weak to speak. Thank you and have a top day. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello? Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.